take your copy of the scripture and turn to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. As we look at God's word together and as we recognize tonight the impact and significance of the testimony that we have in Christ and how that testimony uh, holds up even under pressure, how that testimony guides us and leads us in all things that we do, how it empowers us, that one defining moment where we have met and encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, how it can give us the strength that is necessary even when pressure comes. Many of you remember last week as we talked about Acts 21, we saw Paul coming back to Jerusalem. He's hoping to somehow unify the church as he comes back to Jerusalem to offer this collection that had been taken by all these other Gentile churches. He was coming back. He was hoping that the news of the mission, the news of the offering would somehow unite the church and people would celebrate. And initially, as the leaders of that early church came together, they did celebrate what God was doing. They they were so proud about the mission of God. They had seen God's empowerment of Paul and his missionary teams. But they also had a concern. There in Jerusalem, there was this rising nationalism. There was this rising pride for the Jewish people. They wanted to throw off the Romans. They wanted to make sure that their identity and their culture was protected. And because of that rising nationalism, they heard about Paul and the gospel. They heard that he was going forth and he was telling Gentiles and others, you know, that you do not have to be burdened down by the traditions of Judaism. Because of that, word had gotten back that Paul was preaching this message to even his Jewish brothers and sisters, saying to them, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter about our culture. It doesn't matter about our traditions. Don't worry about all those things. It's just about this gospel that I preach. And what happened was, there was this division. Those who were Jewish, they believed Paul was attacking them and was attacking their way of life. So when he comes back to Jerusalem, he confronts those individuals. And the religious leaders, they say, we've got a plan. This is what we're going to do. If you will enter into this moment of vow, this Nazarite vow, and you will demonstrate yourself pure before your Jewish brothers and sisters, we believe that it will help to bring the church together. So Paul says, hey, I'm all for this. Again, he was there to unify the church. He wanted to bring the church together and concentrate its efforts on the mission that God had given it. And Paul enters into this Nazarite vow. We pick up with that scene in verse 26. It says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. And remember, Paul's going to cover the expense of all of the offerings, which would be a significant expense. He said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring us together. Certainly, he held for the gospel. He held for the freedom in Christ. But he also knew that God was working and continuing to work in Jerusalem, even among his Jewish brothers and sisters. So, verse 27. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple 
and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together and seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. So get this scene. Here's Paul going into the temple. He's going in for the purpose of cleansing, purification. Again, he's trying to bring all these folks together for the mission, the gospel of Christ. He goes in and what happens? Well, they begin to see Paul. And they begin to recognize that this is the man that they've heard about. This is the man who is pushing against their heritage, their culture. And now they believe that he's even defiled the temple itself by inviting a Gentile in. Can anybody here empathize with poor old Paul? You're trying to do a good thing. You're trying to bring the people together. Hey, you've looked at James, the pastor, and you said... James, if that's what you think we need to do, I'm there with you. If you think I need to pay the expense for this sacrifice of these other four folks, if you think I need to purify myself, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Paul enters in willingly to such a plan, and in the process, there are still those who detract from him and his message. There are those who oppose him. It seems like poor old Paul just can't win. You ever been there before? Let's have a testimonial time. Where you had all the best intentions. You thought, yes, I'm going to make sure that we have peace. And I'm going to come to the table. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. And then in the midst of it, while you're at the table, somebody pulls a gun on you. You didn't even bring a gun to the fight. They pull a gun on you. That's kind of the idea here. He's coming to make peace. And they began to level charges against Paul. Now, notice the charges again. As you hear what they cry out, they cry out, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people. Against what people? Against the Jewish people. He teaches others to hate us. He teaches others that we are not the people of God. He's out teaching all these kinds of things. So he's against us. He's against the law, you know how significant that is for the Jewish people. He's against the law, God's revelation to us, and he's against this place. Now, where are they? In the temple. So, in other words, Paul's out preaching against the temple. Maybe they had picked up on something. Maybe they had heard Paul talk about how each believer was a temple of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps they had heard those kinds of things. So now they're making these charges. If you note, these are some of the same charges they made against Jesus. Especially in reference to the place. Remember, it was their charge that Jesus would destroy the temple itself. That they had heard him say that. That he was going to destroy the very place, presence of God. Now, we know what Jesus meant when he said, tear this temple down, and in three days it will be rebuilt. We know that he was speaking about himself and about how you can crucify me, but in three days I will live again. But they made the charge nonetheless. And here they're making the same type of charge against Paul. And what makes it worse is they believe Paul has defiled this place, this temple. They had seen, Dr. Luke gives us a little note and says, they had seen 
Paul out with Trophimus. Now, Trophimus was from Ephesus. He had come with Paul because he was bringing offering. He was bringing a generous offering to the people of Jerusalem, to the brothers and sisters in Christ in particular that had gone through a time of famine. So Trophimus had been out with him, but they had seen him, and now they had determined in their hearts and in their lives that somehow Paul had defiled the temple by bringing this man in. Realize what a big deal this is. What a big deal it is for a Gentile to walk into restricted areas of the temple. Now, there was a court of Gentiles. It was, it was as far out as you could get in the t- temple complex. And they could go there. They, they could go there. But then when you move into the temple proper, you could not mo- go in there unless you were Jewish. And even then, they had the court of women. They had the court for Israelite men could go in. They had the court of the priest. And in the very, the very center, the very back, you had the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. So you had this progression. And what they believed is that Gentile had crossed the barrier. According to archaeological evidence today, they have found different stones that they believe were set up right around that barrier, that that place that separated the Gentiles from the Jews in the court. And in, in those stones, they have found this statement basically recorded. Any Gentile who enters this place enters under the pain of death. Now think of it just a moment. The warning signs. If you were to go into that Jewish area and you're a Gentile, you are entering in such a way that you are, you're willing to forfeit your life. That's how strongly they felt about this. And again, they believe that Paul has compromised the temple. Now, again, Dr. Luke tells us that was not the case. Obviously, they jumped to a conclusion. Have you ever met people before that that's the only kind of exercise they get? The one thing they like to exercise, the way they like to exercise is by jumping to conclusions. You can meet people like that all the time. And here, that's what they do. They say, well, we saw him. He was with Paul. And now Paul's here. Surely, he brought the Gentile in. Paul was trying to endear himself to his Jewish brothers and sisters. He had entered into this vow. He was trying to do everything he could, again, to unite the body of Christ. And unfortunately, these detractors jumped to their conclusions. And instead of seeing what Paul wants to accomplish and hearing what Paul wants to accomplish, they decide that he is totally against the Jewish identity totally against every cultural institution that they've known. The scripture says, they are so enraged that all the city was disturbed. The people ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, I don't want to go too far here, but as I've studied this passage and that verse in particular, 
there are those who make quite a significance out of the doors being shut. This is basically the last time that you'll find a scene there at the temple in the book of Acts. It's almost like a metaphor that God is in some ways shutting the door. He is shutting the door. This is somewhere around 55, 56 A.D. No, in about 14, 13, 14 years, the temple will be totally destroyed. The Romans will have come in. They will have had enough of Jewish rebellion and revolt. Under Titus, they will raise the temple to the ground. There will be nothing left of it. No stone upon another stone. They will totally destroy it. Just as Jesus had predicted. But it is difficult when you read through this to see the hostility and the opposition to God's messenger. And to know that God could in some way close the door in such a way. Well, continue reading. It says, verse 31, Now as they were seeking to kill him, News came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. There in the fortress Antonia that is there that would have run right by the temple complex, word had come to the commander, to this tribune that was there. He probably was the one that was in charge during these times. The governor, uh, the procurator, he was not usually there in Jerusalem. He stayed up in Caesarea, so... It was left to, like, this guy to kind of keep the peace of Jerusalem. And they placed them, again, this fortress. The Romans placed it right there by the temple. Why? Because they knew if they ever had any issues, it would probably start at the temple. Pretty wise. I mean, if you're going to have problems, it's going to start at the church, right? The temple. So they know that there's probably going to be something happening happen at the temple it was kind of like the marketplace it's like the center of town too these courts were so people were gathering together and in these gatherings they knew that that somehow violence violence could be incited so they hear and they come running down verse uh, 32 says he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them so he took at least two centurions because it's plural so he brought down at least 200 or so soldiers. He was ready for the battle, right? He was going to break up this incident. They come down, verse 33 says, Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. Kind of like that. It's kind of like a picture of the church. One person said one thing, one said another thing. He couldn't understand anything. So he uh, decided to just take Paul out of there, he says. It says in verse 35, when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Whether they were trying to continue to tear at Paul or whether Paul was injured in a way, they carried him up the stairs. For the multitude of the people followed after him, crying out, away with him. Again, language that was used by the crowds against Jesus. Away with him. 
Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Obviously, Paul had spoken Greek, and that was the universal language of the time, common language. If you wanted to do business around the world, you needed to know Greek. Alexander had brought the Greek language, and everybody needed to know a little bit of Greek. Kind of like when you look around the world today, most people will speak, or somebody along the way will speak a little English at least. Usually you can find somebody. Kind of a little bit comforting for us. It's kind of like a CEO down in Baton Rouge told me one time, he said, you know what you call uh, people that speak three languages? And I said, trilingual. He said, good job. They must have taught you something up north Mississippi. He said, what do you call somebody that speaks two languages? I said, bilingual. It's awesome. He said, how about somebody that speaks one language? I said, monolingual, I guess you would say. He said, no, we just call those Americans. They, don't, they only speak one language. That's, that's kind of what we call in the business world, just Americans. But, you know, back then, Paul, he is versatile in his language. I mean, he is smart. He was educated. And here he's speaking the common language. And it catches the commander. Well, it catches him by surprise. And he says, hold on just a minute. Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out in the wilderness? He said, I thought you were that Egyptian. Now remember, there was all of this rising nationalism. People were trying to throw off the Roman oppressors. There was revolt after revolt, rebellion against rebellion. Here he says, I thought you're the one that led those 4,000 assassins. The word assassin means something like dagger dagger like you're the one that led those people with the daggers and what they were known for in that day was basically they would come into crowds and they would find their political en enemies they would stab their political enemies and then they would disappear back into the crowd so they would not be caught and he says i thought you were some of those kind of people when the when it was breaking out down there and all of this issue was happening i thought you would you would be that Egyptian. But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. I am, I, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Why would he do that? Because he wanted to build this rapport with his brothers and sisters. He, listen, when he's speaking to them here, he wants them to know that he was a Jew of all Jews. And he wasn't coming to destroy Judaism just as Jesus himself had not necessarily come to destroy Judaism. He wanted to demonstrate to them the fulfillment of what Judaism was. He wanted to let them know that this Judaism that had looked forward to a Messiah had now realized that the Messiah was there. The Messiah was Christ. So what does he do? He speaks in the Hebrew language, and he simply gives his testimony. I'm going to read it for you again. You've heard it recorded in Acts chapter 9 already. Some of you have read through Paul's testimony before, but listen again. He says, brethren and fathers, notice the kinship to the Jewish people. Hear my defense before you now. This is a... This is literally an uh, apologetic that he brings, a defense that he is bringing of who he is and of the, from the charges that they have leveled against him. 
And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I'm indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, while you are waiting, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death, and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So here Paul has been beaten. He has got to face his enemies. He's being held accountable for things that really he didn't do. And what does Paul do? He turns to his testimony. He turns to his testimony. It's kind of like one of these things. He says, I want you to know who I am. And I want you to know the affinity that I have for my Jewish brothers and sisters. And I want you to know my track record. Please know that I was just as zealous for the law as you are here today. As a matter of fact, I was out persecuting the people of the way, Christians. I was going to imprison them. I was going to kill them. I was all about this until I had this encounter with Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth apprehended me on that Damascus road. And then Jesus gave me that instruction to go to Ananias. And notice the description of Ananias. This guy who was a faithful, devout Jew. Now that wasn't accidental that Paul included that here. It was almost like you could go 
And you could follow up about this guy named Ananias in Damascus. And they would tell you that he was a faithful Jew as well. And this Ananias spoke to me on God's authority, God's behalf. And he said that the God of our fathers, remember them, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is basically what he's saying. That the God of our fathers has ordained you. The testimony. I say again that that which sustains us in our lives, that which gives us the motivation that compels us to keep going, that allows us to share the way we do, that is our testimony that moves us in such a way. When you read through the book of Acts, you've heard me say this, but I say again. It is the disciples' personal encounter with Jesus Christ that sustains their faith, that empowers them to share their faith. It all goes back to this personal encounter, this total change that occurs. I think it was last Sunday I shared with you that Paul's testimony in particular is recorded for us three times in the book of Acts. Three times. That, again, is not by accident. I mean, Dr. Luke, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is very selective in what he shares. I mean, he couldn't share everything that happened in the church. I mean, if he had taken all of the business meeting minutes and tried to put them into his account, we would be in trouble, right? We would never get you would be in the book of Acts on Sunday night for five years instead of just two if he had put all those kinds of things together. So he was very selective. And he chose, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to include Paul's testimony three times for us. Again, why? Because it was so significant in the life of the missionary, in the life of the apostle. Nothing else would have occurred ministry-wise, mission-wise, if God had not first encountered Paul and saved him on that Damascus road. So that wherever Paul went, he was held. He was held by his, by his salvation by his testimony, by the call of God upon his life. And I'm saying to you again, you and I can only do what we do. We can only be driven in such a way as our testimony, our personal encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ motivates us and moves us. That's the only way we can do it, is through that testimony that God has given us. God should have made such a difference in our lives we should be able to go back and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are saved so that that defining moment, that defining event colors our family relationships, our community relationships, our church relationships. That one moment drives our purpose and our plan. It must. It must. I would encourage you, maybe tonight or tomorrow, to maybe just sit down and write out that testimony. Now, I know some of you have done it. 
Some of you have been through certain evangelistic trainings where they ask you to write out your testimony. They wanted you to write it out. I think the golden rule, some of you can remind me, I think the golden rule was within five minutes back, back a few years ago. It was like, make sure your testimony is within five minutes. You know, five minutes, just get it down, concise, succinct, significant, that you can share with somebody else. And if you look at Paul's here, this is a pretty brief testimony. I mean, he just lays the facts out. He says, this is who I was. This is what happened to me. This is who I am. Not a bad little outline. <laughs> Say, this is who I was, but this is what happened, and now this is who I am. God's made this change in my life. And when Paul faced the pressure of life, when he faced the persecution, when he faced his brothers and sisters that were making charges against him, how could he stand there? He could stand there because he knew Jesus Christ. He knew his testimony. And as you write that down, as you think about your own testimony, I pray it would re-energize you, recharge you. It would remind you of the purpose that God has given to you and that you are able to share in the power of Christ. Because just as I said last week, your testimony may not be the same as Paul's. You may not have seen the lights. You may not have heard the audible voice. But your salvation and my salvation should be just as real as a Damascus Road experience. And it should move us in such a way. God had called him. He steps up. He says, this is who I am. This is what I've been convinced of, what God has done in my life. He says, I knew that this day was coming. I knew this day was coming. When many would reject the message. Verse 22. And they listened to him until this word. Which word? Well, he said, God had called him to go unto the Gentiles. Remember this this nationalistic attitude. It's about our country and the Jews and oppression from the Gentiles. When Paul said that he had been that he had been sent to the Gentiles, it said that they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that they should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. He gives his testimony. He speaks in power. And yet, he will still face the scourging. He will still face all of these things that will come against him. Let me ask you this question again. Why did Paul and those early apostles... Why were they not only willing, but why were they accepting of the opposition and the persecution that would come their way? Their testimony in Jesus Christ. That's what sustained them. That's what allowed them to experience these things. Never um, forget one of my, I think one of my professors at New Orleans said, you know, when you think about all that those early disciples went through, and you ought to just kind of read the historical accounts of the persecution that they faced. 
the things that came into their lives. When you think about all those things, don't you believe somewhere along the line, if this had been a hoax, this Jesus thing, this Jesus movement, if it had been a hoax, if it had just been a made-up story, a fairy tale, that somewhere along the line, one of them would have broken. One of them would have finally said, hey, enough for me, no more scourging, no more imprisonment. Let me tell you what happened. But not one of them, not one of them bent their knee before the government, before their accusers, but rather they stood in Christ Jesus with the gospel and the message that they had. Again, because God had changed their lives. Because when you come before the risen Lord and you encounter Him face to face, you can undergo anything and everything that comes your way. Because get this, your testimony and mine can hold up. It can stand up under any pressure that comes. When we've been totally changed and when we've known him, we can stand for what is right and we can stand for the good news of Christ no matter what comes in our direction. I pray that you know Christ in that definite, informative, significant way tonight. And I pray that testimony guides you in all areas. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you uh, for this life-transforming event and experience. God, those of us in this place who are saved, we thank you that we can go back to these specific moments, these specific times. And Lord, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have changed us. And you're in the process continually, Lord, of working in our lives. Lord, I pray that that defining encounter that we've had with you would continue to drive us and motivate us and sustain us. And God, I also pray tonight here in this place for those that may not have had that defining moment. Lord, who've not been to that place, that encounter with you. And Lord, even on Sunday night here, we know that you can speak by your Holy Spirit and you can, Lord, change lives. And I pray that as you bring conviction on individuals who are here, that you would bring them, that you would give them the courage and the strength to step out from where they are and commit their lives to you. Father, may we see the manifestation of your Spirit. May we know your conviction and your challenge. May we demonstrate our commitment to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? So we have this moment of invitation and reflection. Would you come?